please turn with me this evening to uh, Proverbs 14 and verse 12. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. My friend, my friends, my topic this evening is uh, dangerous roads in life. And we're looking at this particular verse, this one single verse uh, here in Proverbs. And we have to say, I have to say right from the start, that there's something very unusual uh, about uh, this verse. Something unusual is going on. Something uh, irrational really is going on here. When it says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, a way here is referring to a trodden path, a road, a road that many have traveled on and many are traveling now. Many perhaps will travel as well upon this particular road, this way. It speaks of a manner of life, a, a way of life, a course of life. Uh, and as with any road, well, we know that there's always an end point. It seems so obvious. You don't need to say that, isn't it? At the end of a road is a, a destination. You leave here tonight, well, you know you're most likely you're heading home. Well, you may turn left, you may turn right, or you may go straight on outside the church, depending where your home is. But you know where you're heading. You know where you're going. If you're visiting a part of England you've never been to before, well, the first thing I would do, and I'm sure most of us here would do this, is uh, get out a map and see where exactly this place is that I'm going to. And from there, you would trace your way, uh, the, which roads do I need to drive on to get there? Or maybe you'd, you put into your sat-nav. And uh, what, what do you put into your sat-nav? Well, you put in first a destination. And so the sat-nav knows where you're going. So it seems very uh, common sense, isn't it, uh, that uh, we would uh, bear in mind the destination. The destination must be in mind when we're on any particular road. But the shocking thing here, the alarming thing, the surprising thing, the astounding thing here, is that there are people here traveling on this road, and they haven't taken into account the destination where they are going to. It seems to be that they are so comfortable with the road that they are traveling on. They're so happy with that particular road. They find it nice and easy and nice and comfortable and very suitable for them and for their lifestyle. This particular way, this particular manner of living, manner of life. That they haven't really thought about where the road is taking them. What's the end point? They're never asking, where is this road in life taking me because they found it such a good road. They never stop and they never ask themselves, is this the right way? Is this the way that I should be traveling? It seems to be only a matter of, well, it's convenient, it's nice, it it's, uh, fits in with my lifestyle and my, my viewpoint in life. And that's why I'm adopting it without ever thinking about the end point and the, the destination. Well, we're looking tonight, friends, at a few uh, people who are traveling on this kind of a road. And we have to say it's a dangerous road. 
because as we read here in the text, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but where's the end? What's the destination of it? The end thereof are the ways of death. That's where it's leading these people. There are people who are traveling, we could say, without thinking about the consequences of life, the consequences of their actions, the consequences of what they are doing in life and the way that they are taking. They're not thinking about the consequences because they're only taken up with their current lifestyle, with their current philosophy for life. They're so much at ease with their chosen philosophy of life that they never stop and think and ponder and consider just exactly what are the consequences of such a life. This uh, verse tells us that they are on a road that leads to death. Well, let's just look at some of these uh, uh, people who are traveling on uh, this kind of road. I can only mention uh, three tonight. There are so many different philosophies in life. There's a shop, I was reading about a shop in America, and uh, what they do, I'm sure you can find a similar kind of shop here, is they, they print uh, personalized uh, T-shirts. But this, this particular shop was emphasizing, uh, tell us your philosophy for life. What is your p- personal philosophy for life? We'll get it emblazoned. We'll get it branded on a particular T-shirt so you can wear it and show out, uh, display to everyone, this is what I believe. This is my slogan for life. Well, friends, let me ask you at the start here, what is your a slogan. What would you put on that T-shirt? What would you emblazon upon it? What is your uh, philosophy for life? One group uh, who uh, we will look at, perhaps will will we'll have this slogan on it: If it feels right, if it feels good, do it. This is their philosophy for life, and uh, often with the caveat. Uh, alongside it, as long as it doesn't harm anyone. As, but if it feels good to you and it feels right to you, don't worry about the consequences. Don't worry really about what other people say about it. People will oppose it. People will, uh, be, uh, will be antagonistic towards you maybe. But if you like it and if it's good for you, well, uh, do it. This is what they have emblazoned on their T-shirts. You say, our philosophy for life, if it feels right, if it feels good to me, if it pleases my senses and makes me happy in life, then I'm going to do it. Well, friends, this kind of a philosophy really gives me the permission to do as I like. It gives me the permission to live like in any way that I choose and without really being accountable to anybody. I am the king. I am the master of my life. I control my destiny. I control what I will do and what I will not do by this inner feeling of uh, whether it's good or not. It's a feeling, actually. It's a, it's a phrase that actually you can trace back to some, some of you may be able to remember this, the 60s and the time of the hippies because that's where it originates in a sense from. If it feels good, do it. That was the time when People lived freely. They didn't care about the consequences. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Free this, free that. Free sex, and uh, live, uh, live as I like, as long as it makes me happy. 
and they never really thought about the consequences of all their actions. So today, people adopt this. If it feels good to be selfish, well, then I'll be selfish. Then I will think about myself. Then I will think about number one. I will, everything I do is going to be uh, revolving around me. If it feels good, and it does, it feels good to boast about my achievements. It feels good to boast about myself and what I have done. It feels good to put others down, but to lift up myself, and I'll do that. It feels good, people say, maybe to live immorally. Well, I get a lot of pleasure from living in this kind of a way. I'll do as I please. This is the soul, the one ethic of their lives. If it feels good, do it. They judge everything by this one particular ethic. They have no other standards by which really to judge things in life. There are no other way, standards to say this is right and this is wrong. Just this one. The Ten Commandments are dispensed with. That's not going to be the standard for these people. If it feels good, they say, and it feels good to them to leave God out of my life, then I'll do that. Oh, to listen to Him, to be serious about my soul, to be concerned about my soul and about my relationship with God. Oh, that's a spoiler. That will spoil life. I don't want that kind. That doesn't make me feel good. That makes me feel bad to talk about sin, to talk about hell, to talk about judgment. That makes me feel bad. Don't talk about those things. I don't want all that. If it makes me feel good to live without thinking about these things, then that's the path I want to go down. Well, here is a person who thinks that his way is right. It seemeth right. It seems right to him. It seems right to him. It feels good after all. It must be right. It seems right to him to add, to live in this kind of way. But he hasn't thought about where such a lifestyle is really taking him. That it leads not to life and true happiness, but it leads to death. Or if he has thought about the end, he puts it far away from him. Friends, there are instincts that God has put within us. An instinct for, instinct for himself. A, a sense, as we've said so many times before, that there is a God with whom we have to do. An instinctive awareness that we are sinners and that we are guilty before God. We have a conscience that reproves us. And here are these, the people who follow down, who adopt this mantra. Well, there's one standard they cannot suppress or cannot get rid of entirely, and that is conscience. Because even though they have this one ethic for life, their conscience is still telling them what they say is good is bad in God's sight. And what they say is bad is actually good in God's sight. And so they don't like conscience, and they try and suppress conscience, and they try and cancel conscience to stop it, from speaking and voicing out uh, its, its uh, condemnations or its approvals. But these are things that are in us, our friends. God has made us for Himself. And then there's another group, another person may have on their t-shirt, well, another very popular slogan, and you've heard this one before, I believe in science. I'm a scientific person. 
Oh, I'm a, I'm a person who's a very logical person. I'm a very rational person. I like to think in terms of things which I can feel and touch and uh, things which can be explained. I see life in this kind of a way. Uh, this is the kind of person I am. I live in a material world and I, I, I believe in material things. I live by my sight. I live by the things I can hear, the things I can touch and feel. These are the real things in life, they say. This is what really counts. Don't tell me about a, a God, an invisible God. I can't see God. I can't see where He is. I believe in science. Science explains everything, they say. Science has even explained God away. Now we have evolution. Oh, well, there's our explanation. You see, you believed in God, but here we have uh, evolution. Evolution explains everything. And that's what I believe. Look, it's, it's, it's proven. So many scientists are saying uh, evolution is true. Well, this man as well, he's so persuaded, isn't it? So assured, oh, science is right. So assured, so definite, he comes across as a very confident person that he is on the right way and that he is going, uh, uh, going down the right path. His trust is in science. But doesn't he know? Doesn't he know that science has often got it wrong? Often got it wrong? And that those who so often have come, ver come down very adamantly and authoritatively and declared this is a fact, later on up have to eat humble pie and say, actually, we got it wrong? We made a mistake here? Oh, friends, science is not so trustworthy as it sometimes appears. We believe in science. We believe in real science. But there are two parts to science, as we, we said before. There's real science, that which is uh, uh, proven, that which is experimental, that which, which, which can be seen uh, truly to take place in life. Yes, that's science. We hold to that. But there's another kind of science, consent, the science of consensus. There are other parts of science to do, and evolution comes under this area, where it's not proven, it's not experimented with, it's not shown to be true, but it's only by the consensus of the majority of scientists. Why do people believe in evolution? It's not because it's been visibly seen to be proven, that's impossible but it's because the consensus of scientists say it's, it's right, it's true. But really, when you check the evidence, it's the other way around. It's not, it's not true. But this has happened so many times. I just mentioned a couple of things which have happened. There was a time, as you know, when the majority of scientists and people in the world believed that the Earth was the center of the universe and all the heavenly bodies revolved around it. And it, was, it wasn't until Copernicus came onto the scene and said, no, it's not true. Everything revolves around the sun. And but people treated him like a heretic. And he was, uh, uh, he was put down, he was criticized for holding that. But they, the scientists at the time, they held very firmly and definitely onto that theory. But they were proved wrong. Science got it wrong. And then you, all, you may have heard of Piltdown Man, Piltdown Man, in early 20th century, where bones were found in Piltman, in, uh, in Sussex, I think it is. 
And uh, there, you know, they found a, a jawbone, I think it was, of a, of a man, they said, and they, other parts of his skull were found, and they put all the, the, all the, the bones together, and then they said, oh, we've made the discovery that we found the missing link, the missing link between ape and man. We found it here in Sussex. And uh, for 50 years, science was rejoicing in their find and proclaiming so adamantly that they have found the missing link, the Piltman man. And what happened? Well, an Oxford University came along and they came up with some new uh, dating methods. Well, they discovered it was all a hoax. It was all fake. And it was actually, they, do not, they don't know who, but somebody had put all these, these things, uh, these bones uh, together and, and, and had uh, done some uh, changes uh, to the bones to make it more, look more human and so on. And so, so, and we could go down, the pill down chicken was another one that came from China and so on. You could go on and on with these things where science got it wrong. But the consensus was, the majority of scientists said, this is fact, this is true. Oh friends, uh, the science-minded person, materialist person, he doesn't consider these, these other things. And there's one other part, also in life, which he's very blind to. He says he's a realist, but actually he doesn't think about the whole of life. He doesn't think about the problem of evil that there is in the world. And the real, very real problem of suffering and of uh, guilt. He doesn't think about that. How, and uh, of, of, of problems that are happening in the world and why people have a guilty conscience and why people are so nasty to each other. Why are there wars in the world? He doesn't think about those real issues. He's only thinking really about one side. He's not really, he, he says he's a realist, but he, he hasn't observed and seen those very real problems. Not so the Bible. The Bible doesn't dodge those difficult questions. The Bible tackles these questions head on. The Bible and the Gospel tackles the problem of sin head on. It's an issue that it, it deals with very directly. Friends, the Bible tells us man's greatest problem is not an economical one. Man's greatest problem is not a psychological one. It's not a matter of inequality or racial uh, inequality or racial disharmony. Those are problems, yes, but they're not man's major problems. So many people today that we talk to are so concerned about racial discrimination. Well, that's something that needs to be addressed. But man's biggest issue, man's biggest problem is his sin. The Bible says it's his sin. It's his sin that is the barrier between him and a holy God. And for this reason, Christ came, the Gospel says, into the world to deal with man's biggest problem. He very, in, in truth, came from heaven and lived a, a holy life, and a, a life subject to the law of God. And at the end of that life, He gave Himself on Calvary's cross. And He died to take away the sins and the punishment of all who will believe in Him. He took away their guilt. Whoever trusts in Him are cleansed from all their sin. Whoever trusts in Him are given a guilty-free conscience. Friends, this is what Christ uh, came to do, to deal with the real uh, issues in life and to change people. 
and to make them new people and different people. Well, I must move on. There's one more person uh, to mention. And this man, this woman, well, they have emblazoned on their T-shirt, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Well, that sounds good, isn't it? Love your neighbor. Well, this person's philosophy for life really is they want to lead a quiet life. They want, they're people who want to just keep their head down, they believe in civility, being kind, being courteous uh, to other people, be friendly to everyone, treat other people as you would have them uh, treat you. Well, that's all very good. They want to give help uh, those who are less well-off than themselves. They, they're happy to give to charity. They may even, these, this group, go to church. They may even be found in church once a week, and we could label them, as we do, nice people. And they are nice, no doubt about it. They're nice people. But there's something missing. There's something missing. They, this is the, the, the way of life that they're walking on. And of course, it, well, this, is, this is a good philosophy. They think, morally, I'm a good person, and it's, it must be right this way that I'm walking in. But they've left something out, something very, very obvious. And that is, they have no relationship with God. God is not in their equation. God doesn't come really into their circle, except maybe in a formal way, once in a while, once on a Sunday morning. They are keepers of the second commandment, uh, the second table of the law, but they're not, there's nothing, no room for the first one. They've dispensed with the first table. They think about how they treat others, but they have no love for God. They have no respect for His commandments. It's ir irrelevant to them uh, how they live before God. But they were made, as we all are, to worship God. They were made to serve Him, to love Him, to be in that relationship with Him, to be in fellowship with Him, to know His love, and to be loved by Him. But they don't know. They have no, there is no love for God. Maybe there is some love for other people, but there is no love for the living God who made them. They don't want to know. In a very polite way, they don't want to know. Friends, these are ways that uh, we mention that lead people to death. People who are traveling on these ways, well, their final destination uh, will be ruined. Uh, here it says that in verse 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That is it. That, those particular ways lead to ruin. They lead to destruction. They lead to a separation from a good God. They lead to a separation from all happiness, all true joy in life. That, that the eternal good and eternal happiness that would, would have been theirs, they cut themselves off from those things by walking along this road. They're walking to death. They're walking to destruction. Why, friends? Why go along such paths? How can you be so sure? The people here, they give an appearance of being sure. They give an appearance of being confident in what they, they, the, the way that they are going. They speak confidently about their belief. They're so uh, uh, sure about it. But actually, I'm sure that within there's a nagging doubt whether they are really going the right way. It seems right to them. They cannot say with any certainty that it is right. Friends, we need a sure guide in life. 
We need a sure guide to happiness. We need a sure guide to heaven. And that, that guide is given to us in the Bible. The Bible is our sure guide to heaven. No, I don't want the Bible. I don't tell me about the Bible. I want to be my own guide. Why? Why, why so, uh, so rejecting of, of Scripture and of God's Word? He can tell us how to get to heaven. If you were going to climb Mount Everest and you've never done it before, would you go without a guide? Wouldn't you be foolish if you decide, I'm going to do this of my own accord. I can find my own way. I don't need the Gurkhas to help me go up the mountain. I can do it by myself. Or if you were to, wanted to trek through the Amazon rainforest, with all its dangers and all its difficulties there, would you again say, I can do it alone? I don't need any help, thank you very much. That would be foolish, isn't it? You wouldn't come out alive, probably. How much more the way to heaven? The way to heaven, friends, God can tell us that way, and it's shown to us in the Scripture. God is, will guide us there if we are willing to let Him uh, show us the way. And there is a better way than these ways. There is a sure way to live life, and that is to live it in the fullness, to live it in the fullness, to live it in relation to God. We read it this evening. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. I am the way to the Father. I am the way that you can come back to God. I am the way by which you can be reconciled with God. This is the best philosophy that you can adopt in life. To be in a right relationship with God. You say, this God is going to be my God. And I want to know Him and to live in that right relationship with Him. And He is a personal God and I want to be in that personal relationship with Him. Friends, this is the philosophy that God designed for us. This is the way that He says that we will, should walk in. The way that will lead to life instead of death. The way that will lead to eternal happiness and deep and lasting joy forever and forever in heaven. Surely we want to go uh, this way. Surely, friends, we want to end up in heaven. Surely none of us here want to, uh, want to end up in that place. Surely we want to go there and not to hell. Well, friends, start there. Maybe that could be your question if you've never asked it before. How can I get to heaven? How can I get to that location in heaven? And what is the way there? Trace it back. What is the way to get there? Well, the Bible is your map. Christ is the way. Go to Him. Take Him. Believe in Him. Receive Him for yourself. Turn from your sins. And lean wholly upon Him. He will save you now. He will bring you into that way. He will bring you into a relationship with God. And when you leave this world, He will surely, definitely, uh, bring you to glory, to be with Him forever. The sure guide to heaven. This is a safe way. There's no real danger. It's danger only if, uh, if you go away from it, but there's no real danger once, uh, in this way. God will keep you. God will bless you. God will protect you. And God will bring you to heaven to be uh, with Him. Well, may God help us all 
to be on that way. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we again thank Thee for this sure guide that we have to heaven. And we thank Thee for Christ who came and made a way for us that wasn't open before, but now has been open. Oh, grant that each one of us here may be found uh, even on that right way that leads to life, to eternal life. And grant that each one of us here may know grace and pardon and forgiveness and may know eternal happiness in that place above. May each one of us have our names written in that Lamb's book of life. O oh Lord, bless us with these things, we pray. We ask all these mercies through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together our final hymn, number 402, I Thought That I Was Strong.